Anybody else like to share briefly? Accurate, brief, and Christ-centered testimonies of what God's up to in your life. All right. Well, we will continue this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes. How many of you all have enjoyed this series so far? And seen anything maybe new that you haven't seen, or, or maybe been reminded of some things that you've forgotten about that are that are in the Bible? For for many, the book of Ecclesiastes isn't the the go-to book that that people camp out in. A lot of times it's Psalms or Proverbs or uh, maybe one of the Gospels in the New Testament. Here at City Church, we believe that the entire Bible was given to us for our good, for inspiration, for correction, for training to teach us and equip us and help us be and do all that God's called us to be and do as His people here on earth. Amen? And so... Uh, this morning we're going to continue in uh, chapter 5 with a, a sermon titled, Approaching God in Worship. How relevant is this? I, the, I, as I've studied the book of Ecclesiastes, I've been reminded of how relevant the Bible is, and particularly this book of the Bible. It, it deals uh, with so much of our day-to-day lives, our, our weekly and daily lives, things that we experience Every single day. And as Christians, we approach God and worship every single day. And then we have at least once a week that we, we gather with the people of God corporately and we approach God in worship. And so Solomon now is introducing um, this, this approach to God in worship and he, and he addresses some ways that are unhealthy and unbiblical in approaching God in worship and he points to us, he gives us wisdom and how to worship God appropriately. And before we dig into the text this morning, I want to ask you this question. Kids, listen in. I want you to think about this and don't answer too quickly. Don't answer out loud. Just think about this. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? And what do you hope to accomplish or experience when you come to church? Why do you come to church, and what do you hope to accomplish or experience when you come to church? And so be thinking about that question as we dig into the text here. Let's pray. Father, as we open the scripture this morning, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us through your word, by your spirit. And may we be people, God, who listen and obey your voice. May we be people who see you rightly and worship you appropriately. Would you meet us in this space? We invite you here. Correct us where we need correction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. And lead us to live our lives well. For your glory, for the good of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 starting in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. 
When you vow vow to God and do not delay, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one that you must fear. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. That God calls His people to a life of worship that authentically and reverently responds to who He is and what He has said and done. God calls His people to a life of worship that authentically and reverently responds to who He is and what He has said and done. Um, so the first thing is that, that I want to highlight from this, from this text that biblical worship requires our attention. Our attention being put on God. This is so basic. This is so simple. And we know this, and yet the struggle is so real for each of us to give God our undivided attention. We live in a world that is so full of noise and distraction, and we live our lives with it, and, and, and many of us are addicted to noise, and we, there always has to be something going on. How many of you guys like to use sound machines, or, or you always need to have the, the radio on, some music on, or the TV on, or, or somebody has to be saying something. There has to be some activity, some, something spoken, right? And we struggle as human beings in an overstimulated world and culture we struggle to get quiet and get small and to listen. And Solomon is pointing us to a really important aspect of worship. If we are going to be worshipers who worship God in spirit and truth as Jesus taught us to. If we're going to be worshipers who worship God in a biblical, appropriate way. Solomon teaches us to watch our steps when we go to the house of God. Watch our mouth, listen to God attentively, and worship God reverently and authentically. And so we should listen. When we, when we approach God in worship, it's better to, to come with the posture of listening rather than rushing on in and speaking as if you have the most important words to say in the relationship or in the room. Solomon teaches us that this is what fools do. Fools have no um, delight in understanding, but rather expressing their own hearts. And they have lots of words with little substance in those words. And God has powerful words, weighty words. He has revelation that He wants us to see, hear, and experience, and feel the weight of. And then respond to in worship. You see, as we've said it here before often, that worship is a response to God. Worship is a response to God's glory, God's worth, God's holiness. It's a response to His being. It's a response to who He is, to what He has said, and what He has done. 
And one of the problems in American Christianity, in the American church, and it's not just American, this is, a, this is an issue uh, globally, is, is this, this tendency to make worship about us. To make us the vocal point. To make us, the, to put ourselves in the spotlight. When, when we should have the focus on God, worship is about God. About giving Him our attention and responding to His worth and His beauty and His power and His wisdom. And listening. Getting, getting quiet and listening. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer us the sacrifice of fools. Theologian Ivan Proven says that worshipers should take care when they enter the temple to remember that God must be the focal point of worship, not self, and that the word of God should take priority, not the words of the worshiper. In worship, the first task of the worshiper is to go near to listen with a view to obeying the divine voice. He says it's better to, cook, to, to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Some of the, um, the ways that I would describe the sacrifice of fools is there is an insincere sacrifice, an unfulfilled sacrifice, a sacrifice that is without obedience, a presumptuous sacrifice. A careless sacrifice, a thoughtless sacrifice, an unauthorized sacrifice, and a performance-based sacrifice. These are some of the ways that I would describe the sacrifice of fools that Solomon tells us to guard against. Warren Wiersbe says that only a fool thinks, thinks that he can deceive God when he comes before God saying things. Only a fool thinks that he can fool God or deceive God. And this is what, what fools do. And, and Solomon warns us against this. Think about this in, 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 in Deuteronomy 6. Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? What, what's most important to the Lord God? What's the greatest commandment? And he responded with the, the great Shema. Shema Israel. Hear. O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit down and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You see, the greatest commandment given to us in the Bible, this is what's most weighty and most important when we think about God's will for our life, it's loving the Lord our God with all our heart. Okay? And, and this, this command is, is prefaced with, Hear Israel. Hear, O Israel. If we're going to love God and obey God, we must first listen and respond to who He is. Amen. We must first receive His love for us. We must first uh, allow Him to press upon His glorious character on our hearts and our minds. Amen. And you see, worship is a response to that. When we see who God is rightly, clearly, we get a glimpse of His beauty, of His power, of His wisdom, of His worth, of His goodness. And we see that in our hearts and in our minds, and we respond from the inside out Amen. with love, with devotion, with obedience. 
You see, Christians are called to live lives of listening to God. Lives of keeping in step with God's voice, obeying His voice, and praise God, He's given us Scripture to help us with that so that we can daily tune in to what God has said. And praise God, He's given us His Spirit who inspired the Scripture and who speaks to us, who lives inside of us, who guides us and leads us into the truth. God lets us hear His voice. He's a personal God, and He's a powerful God. So we should listen, and we should be in, rep, in, in, in all of who He is and fear Him. We should love Him. And so listening to God is a challenge in a noisy world with all the noise going on around us. Sometimes we have to tune out. We have to, to get still, to get small, to get quiet to turn off the TV, to turn off the radio, to turn off all the, the, the things that are making noises and beeps and notifications that are distracting us from God. And for those of us with young children, we know that we can't turn off parenting. We have, we have to still be moms and dads. And we have to care for, for our children. But we need to find spaces where we can listen to God. And one of the things that that I see as my, as my uh, responsibility here as a pastor is to listen to God throughout the week. To listen to God through His Word and through a personal relationship with Him. And, and when I come here and, and worship with you all to speak, to speak what God has said. To speak what God is saying. To speak His words. And I think every Christian should make this a practice. This should be a habit for every one of us. Not just for pastors and leaders. We should be those who listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth. I believe so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. The Bible tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Ivan Proven says this, that silence gives us too much time to think. And thinking raises too many awkward questions that we don't wish to address about the nature of reality and our personal identity and destiny. We live in a culture that feels the deep need to push reality away as far as possible and, and use noise to this end. It's so easy for us to check out. It's so easy for us to busy ourselves and not reflect on who God is. And what God has said. And what God has done. And go and, and then put the spotlight on what we have to say. What we can do. What we think. And we dethrone God in His rightful place in our hearts. And giving Him the worship that He's due. And we set ourselves up as the one in the spotlight that has the, the most important things to say. And Solomon says, this is foolish. This is foolish. It would be better not to bring the sacrifice than to bring the sacrifice, make the vow, and not fulfill it. Okay? Zachary Swine, I love this. He says that these clueless performers constantly multiply God talk as if God is impressed with what they say. As if salvation resides in their ability to vacuum up the floor just by pushing their speech back and forth over it. Quantity of church talk and activity does not indicate the presence or blessing of God. I know, this, <laughs> I know these, these, these words cut this morning. 
And, and I know this may step on some folks' toe, toes. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some grace at the end here. But we need some cutting. And I've, I've felt some of it this week as I've studied this. And beware lest when you hear stuff like this, lest you just start thinking about, you know who needs to hear this. <laughs> you know the person that needs to hear this. This is for so-and-so. I hope they listen to this message later on. I'm going to send it to them later on. It's important for us to, to, to hear what God has to say for us. If we're going to be effective communicators of God's truth to other people, we've got to first hear what God's saying to us. Amen? Amen? And then bring it forth to, to share. Um, the Bible gives us lots of wisdom for watching our mouth. Okay? And look to your neighbor and say, watch your mouth. Okay? Parents, you know in, in, in teaching your children, raising up your children, that this is a big issue. Watch your mouth. Okay, watch what you say, because words have power. And Proverbs has a lot to say about how we use those words that can either tear down or that can either build up. Okay, uh, Proverbs 10.19 says, when, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 18.7 says, a fool's mouth is his ruin. And his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from trouble. Uh, there's another proverb that says that when we're, when, uh, even a fool seems wise when he's, when he's silent. You know, somebody said, uh, uh, you know, re- keep, keep silent. Well, actually, I'm not going to. It's a quote from The Simpsons. I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> James tells us in James 1.26 that if anyone thinks he's religious, he's a religious person, yet he, he doesn't bridle his tongue, his religion is useless. Okay? He also tells us that a mature believer is somebody who, who does bridle their tongue. Somebody who's... Uh, James 3, 3 uh, verse 2. And so this is really important to God, especially when we come to God in worship. Because God is a real person. He's a personal God. And He's a powerful God. And He's not to be played around with. It, you know, it, it, many folks approach God as if religion is this... Uh, as, as he's kind of this game as like He's this genie. That, that, that you, you, know, you put a token in, you, you, you give Him a little something, and then He'll give you a little something back. Right? And they, they treat God in that way. And, and Solomon... Uh, addresses that. Look, look at verse uh, 3 through 6. The, the other thing I want to point out is that biblical worship requires authenticity before God. First, it requires our attention, that God gets our attention, that we're listening, that our ears are listening as to obey. Okay, that word Shema, hear, O Israel. That's the same word here in chapter 5. Uh, it's that when he says it's better to draw near to listen. And then biblical worship requires authenticity. Authenticity and in, in what's being said. Mean what you say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Mean, say what you mean and mean what you say to God in worship. Uh, he says this, verse 3. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you bow vow to God, do not delay in paying it. Down verse 6. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger it was a mistake. Now, one of the things that happens a lot of times is when somebody gets in a crisis, 
somebody experiences the sickness or the struggle, they will make a, a promise to God and they'll say, God, I will serve you. I will do this if you will just heal so-and-so or heal me. Or if you'll just give me that job or you'll just give me a spouse or you'll just answer this one prayer, then I'll do this. And what happens a lot of times is those vows or those promises never get fulfilled. Okay? There's something, there's a commitment that's said verbally and it never happens. Solomon calls it, calls it a fool's sacrifice. And there's, there's various reasons why I think this happens. One is somebody just says something they don't really mean in the first place. There's an insincere uh, a, a promise being spoken. Empty words spoken. Or somebody just gets real enthusiastic and emotional in the moment and they overcommit with an unrealistic commitment to fulfill something that God hasn't even called them to do, but they willingly say, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Or somebody makes a vow and a commitment. They say, I'm going to do this. And it's a show for everybody else to see how spiritual they are. And they get that moment of applause of, yeah, that's awesome. You go do that. And that's the, that's the reward. But there's no follow-up to it. Okay? Those are just a couple of the reasons why I think these foolish people make foolish sacrifices. And, and I think we've all been guilty of doing this in one way or another. Okay? Jesus had a big issue with, with treating God like this in worship. He, he, he had some of his harshest words towards the religious leaders of his day who were really skilled at using religion to manipulate and to control people to get what they want. Okay? So Jesus, he says, he quotes Isaiah, the prophets had a huge issue with this in the Old Testament when, when, when the people of Israel were merely going through the motions. That's another reason, by the way. Another, another uh, reason I think that, that fools, there's a foolish sacrifice offered is that it's just ritual. That's all it is. There's lack of thought and reflection and depth and there's just this external ritual. Biblical worship comes from the inside out. It's a response to who God is, what God has said, and what God has done. And it comes from the inside out. It's not merely external. It comes from the inside out. Jesus said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus addressed it. Um, I'm actually surprised how many, how many uh, times I was reminded of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as I was studying this passage this week. Uh, because Jesus' uh, Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 6 could be commentary to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 here. He says this, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Okay? It's not about how many times you can say a Hail Mary. Or how many times you can say Father God. Or how many times you can say please, 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 please. And at the 121st time, God's going to answer that prayer. It's not, prayer isn't this magic formula that you've got to push all these buttons and put in a token. God is a relational being, a personal being, and a powerful being. 
And He knows our hearts. And He calls us to authenticity and, and simplicity when we approach Him in prayer or in worship. Jesus said in regards to making vows and empty promises, He said, let, let, let what you say be simply yes or no. And anything more from this comes from the evil one. Matthew chapter 5. There's another instance in uh, Luke chapter 18 of two men who went up to pray. Okay, one was, a, one was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing by himself and he prayed like this. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other Pharisee. Whose prayer was more effective? The, the, the tax collector, the sinner. And why, why, was that, why was that prayer more effective? Because what? He was humble. That's exactly right. He was, he was humble. He wasn't putting on a show. He wasn't trusting in his own righteousness. He recognized that he was a sinner and he needed God to be merciful to him. He wasn't trying to manipulate God by the good things that he's done. Actually, he was, he was aware that he had done a lot of bad things. And so there's a lot of examples like this throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's Saul. There's King Saul who brought a sacrifice in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And, and he didn't obey the voice of the Lord that came through Samuel the prophet. And so he offered, you know, uh, uh, his, let's see, his sacrifice was, it, it was lacking. And, and Samuel confronted him and he said, he said, to obey obedience is better than sacrifice. You see, the sacrifice of fools oftentimes wants to focus on some other thing to give to God while getting out of the very thing that God has required of them. True worship is a response to who God is, a response in obedience, expressing His worth. Derek Kinder says this, that the writer's target is the well-meaning person who acts who acts like a good sing and turns up cheer, cheerfully enough to church, but who listens... I'm sorry. The, the writer's target is the well-meaning person who likes a good sing and turns up cheerfully enough to church, but who listens with a half an ear, never, who never quite gets around to what he has volunteered to do for God. Now, it's easy. It's easy here to come down heavy on the... On the hypocrites, on the insincere, on the performers, on those who are just trying to, to, to create a religious show externally. But then there's also probably most of us here, or if not all of us here, well-meaning Christians. And, and so this, this, we're, we're not exempt from, from this temptation and this struggle to fall into the fool's sacrifice and saying something that we really don't mean or something that we're not really not going to, to end up fulfilling. 
And so this, this uh, theologian says that he's targeting that well-meaning person. And, and perhaps, remember, Solomon had this huge temple that he built for God. Okay? This huge temple that he built for God. This glorious temple that he built for God. And, and, and perhaps Solomon saw people coming in and out of the temple and bringing sacrifices and, 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 and saw those things. And, and perhaps he's reflecting on that. Some of the, the missteps that he's seen. And we've all seen them in church. If you've been in church for any, any period of time. And we've all been a part of taking those missteps. Raising our hands here, but we're thinking about lunch. You know? <laughs> Singing, you know, yeah. I, I, I can go on about that. Here, here's seven characteristics of a true worshiper. It, several years ago, I sat down and just kind of tried to summarize what, what, what are the, the kind of main characteristics of a true worshiper. And I see three of them here within this passage that we're highlighting. But the first one is attention on God. God's the focal point. God's, God's the focus of the worship, not self. Alliance to, or allegiance to God. Allegiance to God. Okay, being, um, uh, uh, having your allegiance to Him, that, that He is, is your, your highest allegiance. Affection for God. All of God. Adoration of God. Authenticity with God. And actions of obedience to God. Okay, this is important. This is important that, that when we when we leave Sunday morning worship after having sung, I surrender all. I give all to you. I Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you and you alone. And then we walk out of here. It, are, are our words in the songs that we sing matching up with the ways that we live when we walk out of here? And by the way, church, this is for me just as much as it's for anybody else in here today. Okay? And, and so here, here's, what, here's what's happened. Many times in corporate worship, I have caught myself thinking about something else rather than God in the middle of singing. Uh, there's been many times. I, I, I have this tendency to lose uh, my attention span is, is not, not, uh, not the greatest, all right? And so I have to struggle to focus, to focus, to focus, to focus. And I think our, our gadgets don't help us uh, in that. Um, and so there's been many times in corporate worship and singing songs that I've had to call myself back and refocus myself and, and, and even say, God, God, forgive me. I, I, was, I let my mind wander. You know, and, and so God wants us to be real and authentic with him, to respond to who he is. The, the last thing here that I want to point out is that authentic, or all of God, biblical worship requires awe and reverence for who God is. Solomon calls this the fear of the Lord. The Old Testament has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord. And that's a good thing. Okay? It's a description that's used for the worshipers of God. Those who are devoted to God. Those who prioritize God and respect God. And those who take God seriously. You see, in our worship, there should be gravity. There should be gravity. The weight of who God is should be impressed upon our hearts in our minds. 
The Bible calls it the weight of His glory. Okay? God is the most powerful, beautiful, wise, glorious being in the universe. And when we focus in on who He is, and, and we just flippantly sing or talk and go about our, 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 our day without being moved by who He is, then maybe we didn't see Him clearly. Maybe we didn't really get a glimpse of who He is. Because if we really saw Him for who He is, just like those throughout the Bible, when people encountered God and saw God for who He is, they were all struck. They were all struck. They were undone. They were wrecked. They were confronted with the holiness of God and their unholiness. And you know what? That's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. So just turn up the noise. Let's just keep busy. Let's just not think about that awkwardness that comes when we as sinful people encounter the divine, the holy one. And I'm thankful that in in instances like Isaiah 6, when Isaiah encountered the holiness of God, and he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I'm thankful that it, it, that God doesn't just crush them right there. The story doesn't just end there. But God purges His sin, cleanses His sin. And so, again, God is powerful, and God is personal. personal. God is great, and God is gracious. And when we see Him for who He is, we will be awestruck. When we see God accurately, we will worship Him appropriately. When we see God accurately, we will worship Him appropriately. Jesus calls His people to worship in spirit and in truth. That's authenticity. Okay? Internally, authenticity, truth in the inward parts. True worshipers internalize truths about who God is and respond from the inside out, not merely going through the motions externally, but allowing their hearts to be moved, allowing their minds to be engaged, their affections to be stirred from the inside out. And true worship involves us being in awe of who God is. Paul Tripp, Paul David Tripp in his book, All, says only all of him can define in you and me a true sense of what we actually need. So many of our prayers are self-centered grocery lists of personal cravings that have no bigger agenda than to make our lives a little more comfortable. They tend to treat God more as a personal shopper than a holy and wise father king. Such prayers forget God's glory and long for a greater experience of the glories of the created world. They lack fear and reverence, wonder and worship. They're more like pulling up the divine shopping site than bowing our knees in adoration and worship. They are motivated more by all of ourselves and our pleasures than by a heart-rattling satisfaction producing all of the Redeemer who we are praying to whom we are praying see God has God has wired us for all he's wired us with the capacity for all 
to be awestruck. One of, one of the things that Paul Tripp says in his book here uh, about parenting, talking about all in, in the light of parenting, he says the great battle of parenting is not, not trying to address the behavior of our children, but it, it, it has to do more with, with what, what, what all is influencing their hearts. What, what all has influenced their hearts? Is it, is it the, the, the action heroes? Is it, is it the idols on TV, American, the idols, the musicians, the sports heroes, the action heroes? Or is it Jesus, the greatest superhero, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And we struggle, if we're honest, we all struggle with the same thing. We all have this tendency to allow the things of this world to, to stir more awe in us than the Creator Himself. And, 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 and the design is, God's designed the created world to send us back to Him and all of Him, the Creator. So when we see a sunset or a sunrise, that we're in all of who He is. Or when we see some kind of, some kind of beauty in people or goodness, that we're in all of who God is and wiring us like that. Uh, ch- Children, um, have you guys ever been shocked by electricity? Yep. Have you ever had a shock by electricity? Okay. I've had a few shocks myself, changing out plugs and light switches. And there's been times where, where I forgot, I've forgotten that the, 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 the breaker switch is not off on that. And I, as I'm changing out that little light switch, I get a little shock and I'm reminded, okay, there's power there that I don't see, but I just felt it. There's power there that I don't see, but I just felt it. That's just a little bit of electricity. I have a friend who was shocked uh, with, with, at a socket and, and in the uh, washer and dryer, and, oh. in the, the dryer. That's a lot more power there. Uh, it's a bigger one. I have another guy that I went to school with who was struck by lightning and he lived to survive it. He's doing well now. Quite an experience. But there is power in electricity that should be respected. We should respect that. That God has created the world with electricity and it can be used for good. It has lots of good purposes. We got lights right now. We got cameras. We're able to have lots of technology because of that electricity. But when it's misused, it can be very dangerous to us. And you see, God is a God that we should respect and fear because he's not just personal, he's powerful. Many folks want to treat God as a peer and as a buddy and and not see him as the God who rules over heaven and earth. And yes, God is personal and yes, we become friends with God and there's this closeness that we have with him. And, And yes, the Bible calls us to come because of the new covenant, we can come before God with boldness, with bold confidence, because of the blood of Jesus. Okay, we just studied that uh, a while back. The book of Hebrews. That was the last book we went through, and we talked about all that was involved as the perfect sacrifice for us, so that we can approach the divine, the holy. We can approach God with boldness. We and we're to approach Him with sh- with true hearts and full assurance of faith, and we we come with boldness. Before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. But that same book also tells us to still, chapter 12, tells us 
that we are to still worship God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And right before that, too, he talks about listening to God, right? And, and so we should still have this, this, this undivided attention on God, this awe of God. Yes, we come with confidence. Yes, we come with boldness. But remember who God is, that he's God in heaven. Now, Jesus taught us to pray like this, by the way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? So, so Solomon says, God's in heaven, you're on earth, so let your words be few. Remember, remember, and he's not saying that God's not, God's not near us, and, and, but, but he's, he's, he's highlighting the transcendence of God, the glory of God, who's in heaven, and we're on earth, and he has the most important things to say. And so we should respond to him with all. Children, if you've seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or read the book, you remember that one scene when Lucy was talking to Mr. Beaver? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I'm sorry, Susan was talking. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. A lot of folks want a kitty cat, kitten Jesus, who's safe and who can be tamed, cuddled up with. And yeah, he's our refuge and he's our protector and he's our, he delivers us. But those who are playing with God those who are playing games with God and offering sacrifices of fools are not going to find a safe place when they approach God hypocritically. God's going to confront. I mean, look at, look at Ananias and Sapphira. Now, you may be thinking, well, this is Old Testament, Pastor Keith. We're, we're reading Old Testament. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. They lied to the Holy Spirit and they died. They, they dropped dead. They would have did well to heed Solomon's advice in approaching God. Don't, don't offer the sacrifice of fools. God is awesome in His power. God is awesome in His wisdom. God is awesome in His understanding. God is awesome in His beauty. God is awesome in His grace. Let's get a glimpse of who He is and respond to who He is in appropriate worship. Amen? A couple things here I want to encourage us before we pray a response prayer from Psalm 19. The first thing is to aim to hear God accurately and respond to Him appropriately. I've said this over and over. Aim to hear God. Hear what God has to say. He has the most important words. Many folks aren't listening to God until the heat gets turned up in their life. Like I said... They go through some kind of crisis, some kind of struggle, and then all of a sudden God got their attention and they want to make a vow to God. The psalmist says it's better first to listen. What is, God, what is God requiring of you? You see, the foolish sacrifice goes beyond what God says and neglects what God demands in obedience and focuses, wants to set the terms of worship and devotion. See, when it comes to worshiping God, we don't get to set the terms. And we don't get to shape the image of the one we worship. He is 
who He is. And there should be gravity and weight and reverence and awe when we respond to who He is if we're really responding appropriately. Now I know I know I know this needs a little balance that, that, that there's not only gravity but there's gladness when we worship God there's plenty of psalms that call us to joyfully and exuberantly shout to God and worship God and thank God come before his presence with sing, singing and thanksgiving I noticed there's a little quiet here this morning I was wondering if everybody was reading the passage we were reading the passage and just wanting to be careful this morning, not, not wanting to do what Solomon's warning against. Um, but there's a balance here. There's a balance here. We, 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 should, we should worship with gladness, joy and gladness, but also reverence and all. There should be gravity and gladness. Okay, I love, I love what um, John Newton said in his, in his uh, Amazing Grace. He says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." The second verse of Amazing Grace. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that hour appear. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. And so God is awesome in power, wisdom, beauty, and grace as well. And when we see who God for who, God for who He is, we're going to be awestruck. And it should lead us to actions of obedience in response if we're worshiping truly and biblically. The next thing is avoid mismatching your words with your heart, over committing to an unrealistic vow, or what one theologian called verbal doodling. I like that. That's a helpful phrase. Avoid verbal doodling. You know, you doodle, you're just going to doodle. You know, mean what you say, say what you mean, and mean what you say. Think about your words. And think about when you're praying or when you're worshiping. Think about the one who you're talking to. I mean, imagine if he's really here. And the Bible tells us that he is. His presence really is here with us. But see, the thing is, the sacrifice of fools acts as if God's not really here. And God doesn't really care what we say. But he does care what we say. Words have power. And words can destroy. Words can bring life. I mean, some... Powerful people in the world with one word can, can have lots of people killed. And with one word, you can speak something over somebody's life that can just tear them up internally and, 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 and wreck them in a terrible way. Or you can encourage and bring life with your words. Okay, In prayer, our words matter. And, it, and it's not about getting everything right, dotting all, all your, your, your I's and, and crossing all your T's. And you, it's not about praying in King James language or, 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 or uh, you know, having it all right. It's about having a sincere heart, a sincere heart that's authentically communicating to God Amen. And, and appropriately responding to who He is. Jesus teaches us to, to approach God as a Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Amen. So the focus is on Him. And, 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 the, and the focus is on the personal relationship like a, a father and a child, all right? But there's also this respect and this, this reverence for who he is. Because he's God and he's in heaven. And his name is to be honored. Lastly, allow the awe of God to captivate your attention by reflecting on who God is, what he has said, what he has done, and what he has said. Amen? Allow your hearts to be awestruck. And so I want to close here 
with a prayer. If you guys would stand with me, Kevin, if you would come on up. I'd like for us to pray together from Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14. I think this is a helpful prayer, one that I've prayed often. We've read here many times. But if we can read it all together and pray it all together. Right, if you guys would join me. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In closing, let me just remind us not only that we will be accountable before our words before God on Judgment Day, but Jesus, Jesus who lived perfectly the life that we should have lived, that we failed to live, He always spoke what's right before the Father. He knew what to say, when to say it. He lived out in obedience all that the Father had called Him to. And then He went to the cross and He died for me and you. And we get His righteousness, His acceptance, His forgiveness, His cleansing, because He's our Redeemer. And He's our rock. And He blots out our transgressions. And so if you're convicted this morning of speaking presumptuously, saying things that you didn't mean, saying things that that weren't appropriate, you feel like like Isaiah, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm I'm a person of unclean lips. There's grace and there's mercy because Jesus' blood was shed for you to be forgiven and free, to be redeemed. And you can confess if you feel that tension and that pressure that you've blown it, it's time to confess. 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sins. He's faithful and He's just. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. As I said, I've been guilty of these very things we're talking about today. I was reminded of Peter when he was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the prophet Moses and Elijah shows up with Jesus, and Jesus is shining bright, radiant. And Peter just starts talking. And he's like, let's just, let's go, let's build something here. Let's do something here. He, he's getting ahead of Jesus, and, 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 and God the Father thunders from heaven. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Okay? We've all been guilty of trying to do something for God, trying to make something happen, busy ourselves with the noise and the activity, as if that equates godliness, as, as, as if that equates living for God. And it starts with us listening to Him. Let Him, let him guide us and lead us into how we're to live. Let Him speak first. And so, Lord, this morning we, we acknowledge that we need your mercy and your grace, that we need your help, your guidance to avoid saying things we shouldn't. And God, our culture, we're immersed in a culture that curses 
other people who've been made in your image. Our leaders have exemplified this. And we've all been guilty of letting corrupt communication proceed out of our mouths. Lord, we ask that you would blot out our sins, that you would forgive us, and that you would have mercy on our nation. Forgive us for the ways that we have we have posted and typed stuff, and we've communicated words that tore down, that didn't honor you, and didn't help others. 